Welcome back to our podcast. Podcast! <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Me, Myself, and I. This is an official Confession Stand podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Hannah Slash Spuds. I'm Sam Swag. And I'm Sarah Carbs. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is our fifth episode, and we are reading A Court of Mists and Furies, chapters 14 through 28. We are starting out part two of the book, The House of Wind. Hannah <laughs> will cut that out. It's fine. <laughs> Leaving it in now. No one tells me what to do. Yes, Amarantha. <laughs> dodgeball quote he's like nobody makes me bleed my own blood (laughs) (laughs) my dad says that a lot (laughs) welcome back let's turn on the steam just a tad (laughs) he's still engaged is she though is she is she engaged not at the end of the section did she spoiler give, alert. Oh no, she didn't give back Not the ring. Spoiler. She didn't give back the ring because it, bur- it melted off when she imploded. <laughs> <laughs> when everything. <laughs> I would love to get that angry and just. <laughs> right. <laughs> it would feel like such a catharsis. <laughs> um, but where we leave off is Farah is seeing this magical, mysterious town of Valaris for the first yes. time. Yes. So this isn't the night court per se. This isn't the place she went to the first time she was taken to the... The night court is the land, um, and then there are cities within it. I assume the night court's kind of like, you know, in regards to Valaris, like... Corinthians the whole continent. Is the entire continent. Mm-hmm. But the spring court has villages and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Is that kind of the hewn city? Yeah. Is, yeah. like, just a village? It's in- like what they think the capital is. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard for us to wrap our heads. Sorry, like it's, there's a lot of locations, so it does get difficult. It's then. hard because part of Tamlin's move was to not educate her on the spring court. Right. So us as an audience don't really know how the other courts operate, just not only in general, but we were just never given that information. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot to wrap our head around now that we're in a new court. Do you know what Valaris reminded me of when I first read it? Hmm. I thought of Epcot when I first cool. I've never been to Disney World. You've never been Somebody to Disney take World? me. Oh, oh let's go. Have you, such you a been? Loser. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've been to Epcot. Oh, I was been... probably a child. A I've baby. only been to Universal in Los Angeles. You know what's so mm-hmm. crazy is I complain all the time about how I grew up super poor because I didn't have AC or essential heat or anything, but I've been to Disney World five times. That's where wow. all the money That's went. That's where all the money went. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of cool, though. Can you imagine not growing up with paper towels, but getting to go to Disney World, seeing Mickey six times? <laughs> Childhood trauma. <laughs> Speaking of trauma, we first start off with Feyre being brought to Valaris, which is a mm-hmm. hidden city. It's not yes. a lost city. And I believe when we left off, she only saw the townhouse. She hasn't even stepped out of the townhouse yet. Right. She hasn't quite seen it yet. Right. And she hears his, what we will eventually know them as the inner circle, is pounding on the door waiting to get in. And Rhysand's like, you can either meet him now or go to bed. She's like, peace. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. I respect that because there's definitely that point of me that's like, oh, well, I probably should say hi. It was just absolute chaos behind that door. Mm-hmm. And like, 
she heard it and she's like, no. Honestly, not I agree with you. I probably would have felt obligated to, to be just like, say hi. hi. How are you? Not saying hi, I was like, who made you queen of the castle? You can't. <laughs> you just got here. You're just gonna be like, you know what? I don't even care to meet these people. I'm just gonna go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is growing up a female in America. You have to be obligated to say hi to people and stuff. I genuinely am not in the mindset to greet people. I would totally say hi. Yeah, and then same. be like, sorry guys, I'm tired. I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> no. I would have checked out, I think. Mm -hmm. I would have pulled a fair end. That's why you're not as traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> I like to process my traumas. You guys just keep going. Like, our thought was like, oh, she should do this, but the reality is it's actually a really cool empowering that she doesn't feel like she has to. She goes up to bed and she rests, and what he tells her is that she actually will be meeting them at the House of Wind, which is his other house in... Polaris, and mm -hmm. it kind of overlooks all of the city. Mm -hmm. He said he doesn't like residing there, though, because it just feels so big and open. And It's very much like the business home where they have all their meetings and stuff. But there was something really uh, significant about, I wouldn't say that Reese takes her on a date, but that night he takes her around the city, dinner and stuff, and she hears the same music she heard in the cells. Oh, like yeah. Like when she was, was under the mountain, she realized that Reese was the one that sent her this music. And it wasn't music from the spring court, it was music from well, Malaris. Ew, from Malaris. Oh, oh, sweet. Sam was such a sap at that point. <laughs> well, because we're rereading the first book, I picked up on the clues of the description being the Moonstone Palace. So I'm reading it and I'm remembering that it's Reese that does it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, she's seeing the night court already. It doesn't even know her. It was Sam's crying right now. I, am. I let the sound ravage me, let them lay me flat and run over my body with their drums up and up, building to a palace in the sky, a hall of alabaster and moonstone, where all that was lovely and kind and fantastic dwelled in peace. I wept. Wept to be so close to that place, wept from the need to be there. Everything I wanted was there. The one I loved was there. The music was Tamlin's fingers strumming my butt. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely thinks that it's Tamlin, but it totally wasn't. I know. Spoiler alert. It was Reese. It was Reese. <laughs> you know what's so crazy? I was just thinking about that cell scene, hearing the music and stuff, and pictured asking about how the bond work and stuff. He just, like, I was just showing you what you needed to see to kind of lift your spirits. Think about how she perceived Reese in the cell at that time. Do you think it forgives him? It almost feels like he wasn't doing it to be mean. He was doing it because he was scared mm -hmm. for her. You know what? There is something that bothered me when she got to Valaris, mm -hmm. and it's something that Feyre did that actually got under my skin. Ooh, she what? She so pissed off at him for keeping it a secret when it could have been a refuge to all of those people. Yeah. And I really just wanted to be like, Feyre, fuck. You have no idea what it's like to be a lord and to have this much control and know that the only reason why he was able to keep it safe and keep it safe for the future is because nobody knew about it. Do you think that it's because of her isolation? It's almost like she thought he was like Tamlin, that he was hoarding his riches all to himself, kind of like how Tamlin was isolating and keeping Feyre all to himself. That was my thought I mean, of I why get she that. did that. I don't agree with it. It was I so annoying. That was my thought of why she reacted so strongly about it. I mean, Rhysand did basically the same thing Tamlin did. He just made a different deal with Amarantha, you know? I don't think so. I don't think that he did the same thing because he truly sacrificed a lot, whereas Tamlin was cursed and wasn't actually doing the sacrifice. He knew what he needed to do to free his people. Mm -hmm. We have to remember, he procrastinated. 
so much in those 49 years where he wasn't sending his people out across to be murdered and start the the trend of having a human with hate in their heart fall in love. He really didn't dedicate to saving his people. Mm -hmm. And even in the very end, when he did fall in love with Feyre, he sent her away two days before it was all over. He was not willing to sacrifice everything for his people, Mm -hmm. even the love of his life. I don't think that they're even remotely close in that sense because Reese did it from even before he went under the mountain. The moment that he knew he was going to be cursed and that this was going to be a thing, he took action. It's not perfect, but it's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I think, if anything, it felt like Pharaoh was more mad at herself and projecting onto him because she sacrificed so much of herself. I totally agree with that. The moment she realized the amount of sacrifice that he actually did and how he put his people above everything else, she realized that they are very similar. Mm -hmm. And this is someone that she's been looking at in such a negative light because of not only the way that the people around her, like Tamlin and Lucian and Amarantha, are talking about Amarantha's horror and how Mm -hmm. he's just manipulating the game. And I think seeing that come to life, she was like, he really did all this and nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go and talk about my favorite character we meet. The inner, in the circle. inner circle. At that dinner, they meet Rhysand's second and third in command, along with the army general and a shadow singer. So second in command is Amarin. Mm-hmm. And she, as Reese describes her, is something not of this world. <sighs> she is also made like Feyre. And what we mean by maid is that she wasn't technically born high fae, even mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. Amran appears high fae and Feyre's become high fae. Mm-hmm. So they immediately have this like bond and Amran just has this in- innate curiosity about Feyre. Mm-hmm. Because they're similar, they're both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also we learn that she is older than Valaris itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She's and she was in that jail. They go visit eventually, which is scary as hell. Like reading that, like it's so creepy. So creepy. Going like through all the rocks, like not being able to see the inmates, but it being able to feel them. Oof. Yeah. And then knowing that Amarin escaped. Uh, yeah, she <laughs> somehow insane. escaped. I know. And now I'm... she's second in command. I know of the night court. Well, they're like. I love the logic behind that. Like they're not even gonna bother going to get her. Like if you've escaped the worst prison of all time. I have at it. Like, right. It is so funny because Reese also says, everyone fears me, but I don't f*** with Amber. <laughs> she just does what she does, and I just tease. Smile and wave. Smile and wave. <laughs> um, and Amber reveals as well that they are not the only made yeah. individuals in this land. So Illyrians are technically a type of fae. They're not high face. They do not have pointed ears, which is always really weird when you look at fan art. But they all have these bat-like wings, which the internet has dubbed them affectionately as the bat boys. They are brutes. They are brutal. They treat their women like absolute garbage. They literally clip the girls' wings when they have their first periods and leave them for breeding. They literally don't treat... They, I mean, women in the Hewn City and Illyrians are treated essentially the same. So within the Illyrian race, they kind of have processes. Like if you're a bastard, you're never going to ascend the ranks past the lowest rank. And it's a brutal, brutal process to go through training. These these boys are brought into it, what, at seven or eight was mm. when Reese was put in one of the camps. And they are just trained and trained and trained until they finally able to climb the ranks if they have the ability to. So Reese Sand is actually technically half Illyrian. 
his and mama half, side. Mm-hmm, and half high faith. When he came to the Illyrian war camp to train, that's when he met Cassian and Azrael and mm-hmm. Travis and him. Yeah. So really, the only high faith person in that room is Moore. Cassian first. Let's talk about my favorite oh. bat boy. Yeah, my favorite too. I love Cass. Cass oh. Cassian's really interesting because he is like he doesn't have any powers. He's the general of the he's, entire he's, army. Well, he's he is brilliant. very powerful because they use no, but things. like how resand and as and yeah. you know have magical powers <laughs> like magical fairy powers. <laughs> but he doesn't have any of those abilities. But he's extremely strong and smart and brilliant, and funny yeah. and witty, and has dimples and, and, has some and, and the long. Long hair, I love it. The tattoos. When you think of Daddy, like when you think of Cassian, who do you think he looks like? I have seen some people essentially show versions of Geralt. I think Jason Momoa was like too large. Oh no, that's how. That's how big he is, though. Mm -hmm. But like the tribal tat, if he didn't have the scruff, wasn't super long, Mm -hmm. and the hair was a little bit shorter, he would be a Cassian. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, there was also this Instagram guy who looked totally like Cassian. (laughs) Pacific Islander. Ooh. Mm. So Cassian was born a bastard. His mother was a seamstress in one of the camps. And raised him on her own. He was sent to the camp at like seven or eight. By the time he got out, he found out that his mother had passed because they worked her to death, which was so devastating. He admitted to literally destroying the city that did that to his mother, the people that put her in that situation. Cassie's story kind of reminded me of another character that Sarah J. Moss wrote in a different series. Oh, yeah. A little bit, right? I can see the parallel with Hunt. Yeah, with oh. Hunt. And then we have Asriel, mm-hmm. who I actually think, I really like Asriel. Now, can you guys explain to me That's a why bit you're Elaine. <laughs> can you guys explain a little bit more, because I'm not as confident in this, what a shadow singer is? That's the thing, is we don't 100% know. We just can filter into the shadows. So you know how a lot of the actors winnow? Yeah. He almost winnows by shadows. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Even farther into the series, we still don't know a ton about Az, other than his, like, backstory Which and how rare his ability is. Oh, yeah, his backstory is even more tragic. He has burns on his hands. From his brother throwing it at? It, yeah, so his stepmother was always really brutal to him because he, too, is a bastard. So the older brothers from the legitimate family tortured him, harassed him. They kept him locked up right. in the house, in the basement. Which I think kind of exacerbated his abilities because he was literally in the dark all the time. So I think that kind of oh, I yeah. Think about it like that. So I think it kind of emphasized his ability and what he was going to become. I have a feeling that has something to do with it. That's just my theory. He also is the definition of a wallflower. Yeah, <laughs> he is poor thing. So his brothers, they threw a fire at him, right? Is that how? They just abused him. Yeah. Yeah. It was like starting from his stepmother and it just filtered into all the brothers. I thought it was meant to be a practical joke that went horribly wrong. Because he panicked because he was locked up and being held against his will. But what makes him so tragic is that he came to the Illyrian war camp so much later. He never knew how to fly because he was locked up most of his life. In the Illyrian war camp, you learn to fly the moment that you can. You're so Mm -hmm. young. It's like walking. Yeah. So, so he was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. He was so behind. He was a bastard. So he was already being treated poorly. How the three of them got together is that 
Resand brought Cassian into the home that his mother set up once he started sure. attending the, yeah. the Illyrian training. They all kind of butted heads. They all hated each other until they like grew up. So Cassian and Reese were in the love-hate friendship, frenemies. And then they saw Az and kind of took him under their wing. And also <laughs> kind <But> of... <laughs> Wings. Wings. Sam. Wings. And then they realized that the three of them were literally some of the strongest Illyrians to have ever come Mm -hmm. through a training camp. The Mastrial. And we should talk about their stipends. So Mm -hmm. something that's notable on both Az and Cassian is that they have these glowing rocks. So shiny. So shiny. (laughs) They're technically called stipends, and they're on their hands. And I'll, sometimes when they're geared up to war, they have more throughout um, their armor. Oh, I think and, seven each. Yeah, and then mm. Cassians are always glowing red, and Azrael's are always blue. And what they do is they channel the power into usable energy as shielding or as weapons and stuff. A lot of the times when you ha- see these Illyrian warriors, they have just this power that goes uncontrolled, and the siphons control it and direct it in a way that makes it more useful to them without just causing mass chaos. Right. And it's they're so rare to kind of caveat how powerful these men are. Most Illyrian warriors only get one, maybe two siphons. And these <laughs> they got men seven. Each. Uh, they are some of the most powerful warriors and Reese's father saw that and panicked thinking that they would one day overthrow him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why Reese's father separated the three of them during the Great War. And that is why Reese has daddy issues. Mm, among other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been alive for a long time. Yeah, 500 years? Yeah, I th- think more. Because they just said that the war was oh, 500 yeah. years. And, or, so he could... so Tamlin's closer to 500 because he was still technically a child during the yeah. war. But Reesan was fighting, and it's a probably closer to six. Yeah, six, seven, maybe. We don't really know for sure, but definitely more than 500. Mm-hmm. I definitely think this section is very much uh, world-building in the sense that we're just kind of getting a lot of information thrown at us. We've reached the informational yeah, you kind of know what's going on. What ends up happening is that this meeting is not only just to meet the inner circle, but Resan propositions Pharaoh with a potential mm-hmm. job. That if she likes meeting them, uh, they all get along, that she can join in trying to stop Highburn and whatever his plan is to break down the walls between the human realm and the rest of Corinthian. Yep, the talk of Corinthian World War is starting to come, and he... Mm-hmm. Yep, she as accepts emissary, kind of like yeah. uh, yeah. Lucian is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she becomes emissary <laughs> to the human realm for the night court. Is her official role after their dinner. Before we move on to the other bits, though, what we did forget to mention, which is super important, is that like Farah flickering into Lucian's mind earlier in the second book, she taps into Resan. She sees herself through his eyes, and I think that's so kind of sad, because when she sees herself, she just sees this starved, sad, fucked-up-like image, (laughs) and she's like, oh, I didn't know I looked like that. Mm -hmm. And now you kind of understand much more why Resand was so concerned about her appearance, about eating, and how they were treating her, because she just realized that she looked rough. That ability is connected to Resand because obviously now that she's kind of away from Tamlin's grip, she's able to explore, try to figure out where all these abilities are coming from, which courts, which high lords. Resand is able to be like, nope, that's my ability. I'm a Demani. Demani. Which is his ability to be able to tap into people's minds. And that's why he's able to communicate with Feyre, telling her to build up her, mu- her mental shields. So she's able to finally figure out 
one of her new abilities. After she obviously accepts her new role in the inner circle, she has her first nightmare at the night It's court. her first nightmare with Reese nearby, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting because it's the moment where we see the difference between, I mean, as if we don't already see a million differences between Reese and his Hamlin, but when she used to have nightmares in the spring, <laughs> nightmares, nightmares <laughs> in the spring court, Hamlin did not aid her when she was puking in the toilet, and Reese Ann calms her down, and then when she runs to the bathroom to throw up, is holding her hair back for her. And talking her down. That's and a good friend. And then we also yeah. realize it's the first time that she has flames. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she singes the bed sheets. Mm-hmm. He kind of takes that time and opens up to her about what his nightmares are from his time under the mountain. Look at him, he's so nurturing. I know, trying to like just soothe her as she is dealing with it. And then he carries her back. She doesn't even know that he carries her back to bed with fresh sheets on the bed. I think, I think that's really that's important. Cute. I think that's really important, and that's a huge difference between Tamlin and, and uh, Reesan, is that he does open up about his yeah. feelings, his fears, his... He shares his own agony. Right, whereas Tamlin just buttons that shit up, doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to acknowledge it, doesn't want to get into it, and... Feyre needs that right now because she's... She thinks she's alone in this. Right. She's also just so broken right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I think that it's really powerful that she's in Valaris now and she's lived such a life of poverty and chaos and tragedy that she's finally seeing that there's something good to the world. And mm-hmm. it's not under the mountain. It's not the spring court. And it's funny because we constantly think about what Tamlin said, that everything comes at a cost for the benefit. And I feel like this is the first moment that she's in Valaris and there is no cost. Reese pretty much just says, you don't even have to work for me. You can stay as long as you want. I'd like for you to work with me and have a job. Forever if you want to yeah. stay. <laughs> he gives her the option and he's like, you can just exist if you want to. And there's nothing that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, because I feel like every other aspect of her life has always been a give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or marginalized, or not not given those options. It's been planned out for her without her say or consent. We're having no good options. It's either, like, <laughs> bad or horribly <laughs> terrible. <laughs> bad like to this worse. Or this. Yeah. You'll, um, you won't like both, but you gotta pick one. <laughs> so... And then I think we move on to the bone carver. The bone going carver. To the oh, this is one of my favorite scenes. This is a in good the whole scene. series. This is a really good scene. It's so creepy. The priestess temples are being ransacked by hybrid warriors and soldiers and stuff, and they're trying to understand what the heck they're doing. And it turns out Amarin kind of pipes up and says they're probably looking for the likes of the cauldron. The cauldron is something that kind of creates things that are made and with it, you wield power over other people's magic. The way I viewed it, it's almost like the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. And the cauldron broke at some point and people were piecing it back together, but it's still missing pieces. And so she believes that Hybern wants to break the wall that was made and he thinks that he can do it by utilizing the cauldron, but he needs it at its full potential. It doesn't work as strong as it does without its legs or its missing pieces. Not only do they are they trying to figure out what Hybern wants with the cauldron, their running theory right now is that because Jurian's eye and finger went missing under yeah. the mountain, they're going to bring this man back to cause yeah. further chaos in the world. Mm-hmm. So they think that this cauldron that created their entire universe as we speak could also bring a human back. Put a little eye and finger in it. Well, it is the culture of creation, so I wouldn't yeah. put it past it. She just being the ancient, otherworldly creature that she is, is like, you need to speak to other ancient things. And that's where the bone carver comes in. The bone carver is in the prison, and that's how Amran knows him. She was also in the prison at that mm-hmm. time. And the bone carver is this 
creature of chaos. Yeah. That is imprisoned for a reason. So Amran recommends that Feyre and Rhysan go to this bone carver in the prison and they may be able to answer what Hybern's goals are, what the cauldron actually is, why the temples are getting ransacked. Right. Well, this is really cool. So Feyre decides that she doesn't want to go to the prison. Reese gives her the option because he was going to go alone. And the first time that they do go to the prison, the moment she's outside, she's like, I want to go back. Like, I can't do this at this moment. And he takes her back. He does not force her to do it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so they end up revisiting the prison and going through. Like a day or so later. Because Amran gave her an amulet that she said helped her through. That's that's one thing we should describe about Amran. So Amran is so funny. She is this creature from a different world. She is so ancient that nobody messes with her. And she loves jewelry. She is so gaudy. She's like a dragon. <laughs> she really oh, yeah. is like a dragon. She just hoards fine jewels. Amran gives Farah a jewel and is like, this will help you fair in the prison. You know, mm-hmm. it'll keep you safe. And we find about it later that it actually didn't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. It, it was, had no power It whatsoever. was a placebo. Yeah, it was a <laughs> effect. Um, so but it funny. helped. It, it gave her the bravery to go back because she thought she was protected, and Amron was like, "You never ever needed it. Mm-hmm. You just needed the mindset." It was very sweet. It was it very, very. It was sweet. very non-Amron. Mm-hmm. I know, right? But also weirdly Amron enough to like lie about something yeah, to get yeah. someone to do what they need to. A little to. manipulative. <laughs> yeah. All right, so they finally get into the prison safely, and they run into the bone carver. Well, let's talk about the prison, because it's so creepy. Mm-hmm. It's so creepy. It's all it's the worst of the cells. worst. They're hidden in the rock of the mountain. But they can hear all the prisoners, and I bet the prisoners saw them walking through. Oh, 100%. And it's like the so most weird. vile creatures of the world. And there's a point where they're walking past, and she can hear one of them scratching Ooh. along the rock on the other nope. side of it. And he was just like, we have to keep walking. And it's so interesting how they open up the cell where you put your hand on it and use your powers mm-hmm. so you can enter. And I think that the only reason why she can enter is because she has part of Reese's power. Yeah, because I think he's the only one that can technically enter it. Mm-hmm. So they get into and they meet the bone carver. And mm-hmm. it's a little boy. Mm-hmm. But not to everybody. Not to everybody. You know, Rhysan really prepped Feyre on how to communicate with him. With a question for a question, they gave, brought him an offering. They knew that the bone carver would have some interest in Feyre being recently made. So he is just nonstop asking her about her death and what that afterlife experience was. What kept her holding on. Would not drop it. Making Reese very uncomfortable reliving, you know, Feyre's death. After he pokes and prods about the afterlife and Feyre's death, that is when we discover that Highburn is most likely going to bring Jurian back and then confirmed that the reason why the priestess temples were being ransacked is because the legs of the cauldron were separated. Highburn was already on it and mm-hmm. was trying to get the cauldron up and running. Right. But he lets them know about one last thing that is needed to wield the cauldron properly and that is the Book of Breathings, which they discover is hidden in the summer courts. And... The human realm. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's a lot of information. This is a lot of information. I think what's important to also note is that the big reason why he did grill Feyre about her death is because she can't die. He wants to understand what death is like. Yeah, he wants to know if it's worth it. So, like, if he finds a way to end it all, what is coming for him in the end? But that's why he's so interested in what she saw in between dying and being reborn Mm -hmm. and made. 
I think he's starting to piece together a way that he can finally be free of this world and this form that he's in. And he's clearly just as trapped in Printhian just as Amran is. That they are clearly Mm -hmm. from another world that we can't even begin to wrap our heads around. And they don't think that they'll ever be able to get out of that world. And so I think the idea is that he is starting to think that he can find a way to just end it all. Mm -hmm. But I think he's scared to do that bit better to just stay as a prisoner. Or should I just no longer exist? What am I going to risk it all for? Sam made a comment that the bone carver only appears to people in different forms. So it really depends on who you are, what he transforms into. So, you know, Feyre sees a little boy, Rhysand saw Jurian. It definitely adds a layer to all of this that we're going to have to see unfold moving forward. The little boy has vibrant blue-violet eyes mm-hmm. and dark raven hair. Oh! Oh! <laughs> did not put that together. <laughs> I was like, oh, what a cute kid. <laughs> yeah, he's, pr- he's probably going to be real cute. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who he looks like. It's Reset as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> right? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you keep reading. <laughs> Maybe another little baby boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, didn't re- I was just like, oh, like it's just a creepy <laughs> It's just a creepy kid with dark hair. <laughs> starts communication with the summer court. They also try to hatch a plan if and how they're going to get to the human realm to talk to the human queens to get the other half of the book. Their brilliant idea use Feyre's sisters so BRB mm-hmm. to that point. While they're waiting for a response from her sisters in the summer court Reese is like, all right, well, if you have a little bit of ability from every court, he had a theory that she would be able to tap into any locks or charms or protections that any of the High Lords may put. Not only can she unlock certain things from each court, but she can sense personal objects. Yeah. Like she, he wants to test out whether or not she can actually be able to find something because they will have absolutely no idea yeah. where this portion of the book is. When they go to the summer court. Yeah, when they go to the summer right. court. And so right. they're hoping that she will literally just be drawn to it. So his test is for Feyre to retrieve an item of personal value from the place called the Weaver's Cottage. So the Weaver's Cottage, she is a witch, I believe, and... Feyre is tasked with going behind her back as stealthily and silently as possible to see if she can find the missing item. And the catch is, if she takes anything else that is not technically hers slash resands, then the weaver is going to eat her alive. So it's pertinent that she does not touch what is not hers slash his. And she gets to the house, door opens perfectly and silently, and she's singing this creepy song about turning a human into a violin or something. <laughs> Disgusting. Ugh. 
And what? she's weaving. She's doing the big old spindle thing. We piece together that it was most likely human skin or human hair that she is weaving. Uh. Sarah is <laughs> gagging. I think about the roof of that house and I want to fall. Oh, it. yeah. <laughs> so after being patient and scoping out the room as silently as possible, she finds the missing item. And what is it? It's a ring. And the moment she touches it. it. The weaver snaps her head and is like, who's there? Which is so ridiculous. There's no way, like, I'm picking up something right now that's about the size of a ring, and you can't hear me do this. Did you hear that? I think it's more so (laughs) the fact that she's so into it, but she senses energies moving. Also, I feel like it goes to show how stealthy Thera is. That's one of her skills is to be... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why I whispered that. And I, <laughs> I was kind of expecting her to, like, steal something. It wasn't necessarily that she doesn't find the object, that she takes something else of import. Or maybe both. Or, or both. But then Thera decides to do... Once because... she's trapped in the house with this weaver about to kill her. Thera pulls a Grinch and goes up the <laughs> chimney. <laughs> <and> then... <laughs> it was brilliant. And the weaver follows her, and as Feyre gets trapped in there, which this whole scene was, by the way, like, terrifying to mm-hmm. read. Feyre panics, and she's reaching out to Resan, who leaves her <laughs> hanging there. She finally realizes, remembers, like, oh, crap, I have amazing strength, and she is able to get bricks to fall on top of the weaver so that she can propel herself out of and the house. And helps get her out. Yeah, and stuck the roof made of wood. <laughs> it is so gross. Ooh, all that all that human fat clogging up that chimney. Oh, it looks like she's gonna vomit. <laughs> and the roof you know is yep. <laughs> She literally is running through the trees. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of epic. And then Reese is like, What's just up? chilling on a tree branch, waiting for yeah. her. And he's like, like oh, it took you long enough. Uh, you know what it reminds me of? The Weaver's cottage reminds me of Hansel and Gretel. When they go to the witch. Yeah. I was like Hansel Gretel, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. No one ever leaves the witch's cottage. Right, right, absolutely. So we find out that she got Rhysand's ring. It wasn't even something that the Weaver stole from him. He gave it to her for safekeeping. And it was his mother's ring. The, the last thing that's really important and helped kind of defines uh, Feyre and Rhysand's relationship is the fact that he set her up for this task without really explaining to her how dangerous it was going to be, whether he was actually going to save her or not. You don't say. <laughs> so she obviously snaps at him and puts him in his place and is like, you can't treat me like an object. It's very, I think, triggering to her from the perspective of Tamlin. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I'm willing to do this stuff. You just have to be transparent with me. Me. Yeah, he, don't leave me in the dark like Tamlin did. That's a precedent that Feyre thinks is being set between the two of them, which right. will be important later in the series. Right. Oh my god, let's talk about that bitch. Dianthe. Rhysan shows Feyre, uh, like, she's able to kind of walk through in a memory that he had of Ianthe. Very, like, Pensieve-esque, like yeah, Harry Potter. that's exactly what I wrote down. Like, <laughs> very Pensieve. And I kind of imagine that whole, like, sort of bluish, like... Yeah, the little like, watery, like, watery like, whatever. type of vibe to <laughs> This is before Amarantha, I believe. I think mm-hmm. a decade or so before. Anthea had asked Rhysand to come visit. She wanted to visit the Night, Night Court, Court because we know how ambitious she is. Oh no, I'm stuck on something. <laughs> Your bed. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the thirst was real. Well, actually, that's not 
necessarily true because I feel like Ianthe is very much a opportunist. She's playing a game, like a long game, and she comes on to resan pretty strong. And and it's very naked in a bed, strong. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it also like, gives us a uh, greater context to how she was around Lucian. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and Favor picked up pieces. on that. And uh, and Risa doesn't go for it. Puts her in her place. Puts her in her place, kicks her out. Breaks her hand. (laughs) I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah. I usually don't approve of Rhysand's brutality, but she would not let up. Like She really thought she had him around her finger. Right, she just was like, no, you really want me. He's like, I definitely don't. Feyre makes a an interesting comment as well. She does think about Lucian almost instantly about how Ianthe was so pushy about it, how Lucian was so transparent about not liking her. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she moved to, however could she tell Tamlin when she goes back to the spring court about Ianthe's behavior, unless Ianthe's already getting into Tamlin's bed and doing this whole charade now. You would not put past her No, God, no. I feel like that is another reason why it kind of helps Feyre come to the decision that there's just no point in going back. She won't be listened to. She's got a scheming viper in her bosom type of thing like snake in the grass yeah snake in the grass or whatever she just realizes there's nothing there for her right i love this about feyre she's starting to come to terms with the fact that she's starting to wonder if i love tamlin because he's the first person to show me any type of compassion i've lived such a life of sadness and he was the first person to treat me as something other than this and like even though it didn't work Mm -hmm. you know what i mean even though it didn't work it's kind of like your first love yeah like your first love genuinely is not your end game love yeah but it's relatable. It's sad, but, it's, but it's needed and mm-hmm. necessary. Yeah. I Gosh, I think, like, I thought I was going to get married to Justin Timberlake when I was six. <laughs> I really don't want that life for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, they finally get word or make a plan to get to the human realm to visit the Archeron sisters. Elena mm-hmm. Nesta. Mm-hmm. To finally get that moving. Reese, Cassian, Asriel, and Feyre as the emissary and it's a very complicated travel because of the wall they have to find the crack in it they fly slash winnow slash whatever to get there also because he has essentially taken pharaoh from tamlin they don't want to alert the other courts that they're on the move Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be intercepted by tamlin and the because the spring court buddies up right to the human realm yep so they go the long way but they finally make it and Elaine sees Feyre. They shoo off all of their staff because they're all very sus of Feyre's random appearance with no horse, no carriage, no people. And their father's not home. And their father's not home. He is back to being a successful oh, traitor. And we should also know they do not know that Feyre is Faye now. No. And so she's got her hair in a way that's covering her ears. But mm-hmm. it's very clear that she's Faye because you can just tell. Mm-hmm. And she has a tattoo. It's the energy yeah. that she has. The last time they saw Feyre, first book, she finds out about Claire Bedar's kidnapping and books it out of there. She's like, I have to go now. And I'm they, gonna and save they, the love of my life, Tamlin. And they haven't heard from her in, we know it's been more than, what, three months or so? Because that was how long yeah. she hadn't heard from the, recent. Yeah. Well, they had three months where she oh. was under the mountain. So then six three, months. Yeah, at least or six months. maybe six eight. Plus. It might have been yeah. almost a year. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy when you put a timeline to it. So at least six months. Yes, she looks very different. Um, <laughs> and a lot's changed with the Archeron sisters, too, because that's when you find out that Elaine is engaged to a Fey hater. Yeah. So she's got this. <laughs> she's an iron. She's got an iron ring because they've. Even though Feyre warned them that iron doesn't matter against the Fey, they don't know better. And her engagement ring is iron. So 
b-boys come in does not well, go she talks to her sisters a little yeah bit, she like, does she she explains to them i just sees right through her right oh yeah she's like i know surprise you're surprise mm-hmm. and i don't remember if her sister calls it out before the boys come in like if she explains that she, she died okay okay because Farah has to tell her that they're coming in. I mean, two right. of them are going to have wings. Like. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Reese very kindly left his wings at home. Yes, he did. <laughs> but it's kind of cool that he can just, like, make them poof, you know? I right know. So the boys come in after Farah kind of catches them up on the whole, like, life and death and Faye thing. Nesta and Cassian. <laughs> oh, they are going at it. Oh, the it, sexual it, tension it, and the hatred there, I love it. it mm. It's contemptuous and it's hot. Um, like, <laughs> Cassian, what should we talk about? So Cassian resents Nesta so much for the fact that she didn't help Farah back when the family was struggling and Farah, the youngest, was out there hunting on her own and putting herself at risk to support and Nesta wasn't playing the role. Mm -hmm. One of my least favorite things about how Nesta is illustrated in in the first two books is to me, she almost seems like the evil stepmother. We know that Nessa has a much better side to her that we're not seeing. I would have loved to have seen that a little bit more in this section. But she was just walls up, guns. Yeah. Yeah. In, well, like, she you know. But you know the thing that I love about Nessa? She doesn't trust anybody. Right. She sees right through all of the bullshit and she's like, you can't woo me with fancy words. But it was very satisfying watching Cassian yell at it, it was a little bit. Calm but he up. also couldn't take his eyes off her. Well, I think it's because she wasn't gonna back she wasn't down. Afraid. Like she and they describe Cassian and Nesta sizing each other up like an opponent, right? Like yes. an equal almost. And I was like, oh, That's this is sexy. Fun. <laughs> like she did, she did not back down. As is pretty quiet. Resan's very respectable. Uh, they crash there overnight. Yep. And I love it. Resan wants the best for Feyre. I am. (laughs) But no, but that opens them up to, he kind of opens up a little bit more about his Amarantha trauma and the process. Yeah, because she's like, thank you for warming the bag. He's like, you know, Amarantha never, ever thanked me for that. Not once. I'm also just surprised that he did that for Amarantha. I know, right? Um, so eventually the girls agree to let the Bat Boys and Feyre use the house to mm-hmm. try to communicate with the human queens to convince them to give them the book. And now they send out some letters. Mm-hmm. So as they're going to send out some letters, waiting to hear back from the queens, Resand and Feyre decide to do a little bit of training in the woods That's to try so to figure out her. To me. Hmm. That like the woods that started this all, she's now training in with Resand. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. <laughs> Figuring out what her abilities are. So, she says that she wants to train by herself because she's having a little bit of performance anxiety with him mm-hmm. being there. Mm-hmm. So, he wanders off, and of course, not even a minute later, the Ator comes, and he's back. And he's been Fucker. missing since the end of the first book. Mm-hmm. He just disappeared. This is another thing that yeah. pissed me off about Reese. He knew. And he used her as bait, and she again figures that out so, again. Reese Hand comes back, and... Surprise! I know. And, Who would have guessed? Uh, stops the Ator. They're able to get a confession in that moment. He was hired to get Feyre, and they assume it's from Highburn. And once Az sweeps away and takes the Ator away, Feyre lays into him again. She's like, you promised me that you weren't gonna do this. Blah, 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 blah. We just discussed this. I would have been fine, again, if you had just been open. Just tell me. Mm -hmm. You're gonna use me as bait, and I'll probably say yes. It kind of all comes to a head that as misguided as Rhysand's goals are, having put Feyre through this a couple times is that every time this happens to her she always comes back to i am so weak i am out of breath i have these abilities that i can't properly use Mm -hmm. sometimes advised to train harder 
All he right, keeps saying, like, you stopped fighting. Which oh, she did. And so sad. I know. She did stop fighting. I mean, I read the book. Yeah. Her. She stopped fighting in the first part of this book. Just like with the Weaver, I'd forgotten how strong I was. And I think that's her thought. And he hears that. And he says, yes, you did, Reese Ann snarled, reading the surprise on my face, that icy calm shattering. You forgot that strength and that you can burn and become darkness and grow cloth. You forgot you stopped fighting. And he didn't just mean the Ator or the Weaver. It's yeah. a really harsh wake-up call. Right. She had been told by Tamlin and Ianthe and a lot of the Spring Court that she just can't. She is too delicate or she has a new role now that she needs to submit to. And she did. And she believed it. Well, yeah. can you blame her? Yeah, she no, no. through hell and back. You know, I think after her little pep talk from Rhysand, remembering what she felt like at the Spring Court, she finally does what she knows she needs to and she officially breaks off her engagement with Tamlin. In a text message. I'm sorry. I know! <laughs> text message breakup! <laughs> the letter was quick and simple, but each word was a battle. Not because of my former illiteracy, no. I could now write and read just fine. It was because of the message that Reese, standing in the foyer, now read. I left of my own free will. I am cared for and safe. I am grateful for all that you did for me and all that you gave. Please don't come looking for me. I'm not coming back. Bye. And Reese is like, are you sure? Is this what you want? And she's like, I am no one's pet. So yeah, she broke up in a medieval text message. Do you think this was the right call? Yeah, 100%. There's no way that she would have ever been able to do this in person. Right. No, he no. would never let her leave. No, no, no. He'd literally hold her captive. Well, and I think that would be her fear regardless, even if he said he wasn't going to do that. Even if, like, he's like, you know, we can make this work. Like, she wouldn't trust him. No. She also probably didn't even want to give him the ability to get close to her. Right. she's so traumatized by him. Right. Uh-huh. Do you think that Favor should have done something aside from being with Reese and be like, you know what, take some money from Reese and just do her own thing? But you know my theory is I think she doesn't know where to go where she would be safe. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there is talks that everyone knows that she's in the Night Court, and the way that people view Reese, they think that she was stolen. These other lords will probably go to bat for Tamlin because they don't see it as a justly action. They don't see the abuse that he put her through. They view her as the bride-to-be that's stolen. Right. And I think that even if she says these letters, a lot of people know that Reese can control minds, and they think that he's making her say those things. And so they're like, we'll just hang on to you until you've broken the bond. Reese is controlling you. These are not your choices. And so they would almost take away the freedom that she has of finally voicing herself. Do you think that that's how Tamlin's going to take this? 100%. Right? He's not he probably to... thinks that Reese is the mind controlling because he thinks that Reese is manipulative and that he would do this. And mm. Reese is known to do that. He's done that before. And he doesn't understand Rhysand and Feyre's relationship. Right. Or who Rhysand really is. Yeah. I mean, they don't know anything. They still don't know about Velaris. They don't know about the inner circle. They don't know about all this stuff and what he sacrificed. They just look at him as Amarantha's manipulative whore, who can also control and read minds. Also, you look at how he treated her before he left, how he wasn't listening to her. So even if she was like, that's not true, that's not true, it doesn't like that really matters to Tamlin because whatever she voiced to him before didn't matter. And now he has the excuse of Rhysand. I'm anticipating, I don't know, like, I'm kind of anticipating a showdown between Tamlin and Feyre. Uh-huh. Like, because I don't think that Rhysand can go to bat for her on this. No, I think she can't. Ha- I, I don't she- think he wants to. No, yeah. Because if he did, 
he would never know if she did it because she wanted to or because right. she was a voice in her ear. Right, I right. think he truly wants her to make her decisions on her own. Right. He definitely did the whole thing of, like, you're not a pet, like, they made you believe this thing, but I think it may have been a little pushy, but yeah. I think he also was just frustrated with the circumstances of everything. But you know what? My mindset is not even that he was pushy. I think that maybe he was fed up and that was his way of comforting her. I don't think he did it to make her an enemy of Tamlin. I think that he was doing it more from the mindset of reassuring her that you are worth something. You have all these people who treat you like you're worthless and you're not a pet. You're not these things. That's how I read it when I read right, it. Right, right, right. And I think she's just been so brainwashed. He was saying that to like make her realize that everything that she'd been told this whole time may not be the actual truth. So what Breakups do you think? are hard, man. Yeah, it's so hard, man. So what do we think the next section's gonna shake out? <sighs> well, obviously they're gonna go to the summer court. And obviously, Tamla will not take that well. Yeah. <laughs> well, not the summer court thing, but yeah. but the breakup. The letter, yeah. I remember when I wrote my notes, because I always kept track of like what my predictions were, I was very curious to see how the lord of the summer court was going to react to seeing Feyre with Reese. Knowing, because they all know. Mm -hmm. There's no way that they don't, especially when the summer court butts up to the spring court. Yep. Yeah, because aren't they closer by mm -hmm. proximity yeah, so and It's the trade. Realm, the wall, the spring court, the summer court, and then it goes off. Yeah. And then the night court is at the very That's top. right. They, like, kind of sit on top of each other mm -hmm. like a giant sandwich. So, like, you would assume <laughs> um, that they're, they're neighbors. Right, right. They talk. I'm curious to know what is going to happen at the summer court, where the book is, and if they're even able to find it. I'm also curious to know how everything goes with the human queen. When it comes to the human queen situation, just seeing Nesta and how both of them reacted to, as in Cassian and Rhysand, I think there's gonna be, like, what is there, 10 queens? Six queens. And I, which I kind of like that. The minute I heard there was a bunch of queens doing the Looks human like a bunch of Right. You know, uh, there's this great line, and I wrote this down in our notes. So when more comes in before they leave to go see Nesta and Elaine. Moore says, look, I'm not coming with you guys. Just wanted you to know that. And Feyre asks, is it because of how they treat women in the human realm? And to know that women are the main authority in the human realm, I think is very fascinating. But also, I wonder if they're going to be very similar to Elaine's betrothed Right, same. You know what I mean? Like, are they going to be doused in iron? Well, we, know, we also know that they they don't live forever because they're human. Mm -hmm. We don't know what knowledge or perspectives were passed down or from their predecessors. Yeah, yeah. About them we now. don't exactly. I mean, we can't all assume they're the same age. You know, maybe there's a little kid and there's like an old lady and like a couple midlife crisis Karens. You never know. But you know what I do appreciate? It's mm -hmm. so interesting how all of the Fae lords are men and. The who human they have realm. to reach out to in the human realm are all queens. That you don't feel like there's like a stubbornness to that. Like I don't know. It does make me a little grumpy, just in the sense of like a coming from a patriarchal society that the universe where men rule have these insane powers and stuff. And the women, although they're in charge of the puny human world, <laughs> like, like you know what I mean. Like they don't have any special powers. They get old and stuff. It's funny. Maybe you should keep waiting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gonna learn a lot more. I was really hoping that Nesta would end up being the queen of the human realm. 
Uh, same. Well, when when she said she was gonna go off on her own, I was like, Ness is gonna crush it out there. I, I was know. not expecting her to still be there. I was getting Arya vibes from her yes! at the end of Game of Thrones. Yes. She totally yes. is. She's just gonna like do her own thing. I was so shocked to see her at the house. I, know. I, I really wasn't expecting her to be there. I'm curious to know if she's just waiting for Elaine to be married off before she leaves. I had that vibe too yeah, as well. She kind of passes her off and is like, yeah. she will be protected. Yeah. And it, honestly, I think that Nessa not only is appreciative of how much that the betrothed loves her, but also the fact that she can finally relinquish someone who she has faith will protect her from the evil North. Mm-hmm. Right. King of the North. <laughs> More Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. So Sam, what are we going to be talking about next episode? We are going to do part three, which will be chapters 29 to 40. Mm-hmm. And we should specify, this isn't actually the part three of the book. This is our part three. Technically, it's episode five. I'll figure it out. No, episode six. Because this is episode five. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. About <laughs> Next week will be episode six. I'll, put in, I'll drop in some editor's notes. You'll hear my voice later on. Right. <laughs> right. Hi, this is Sparks. Um, <laughs> up next, we'll be talking about mm-hmm. episode six. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 <laughs>